keep your Bibles there in chapter 7 as we go through, uh, but we will jump around a little bit as well, So, um, but I'll let you know when we do that. Before we come into the Word, please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now to hear from you. We come now to see your truth and your word brought to life for us today. And we pray that we will glimpse, that we will taste, that we will savour and see Jesus, the living word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in us, that you will bring the truth of God and his word to life in us today. So Holy Spirit, speak. Not me, but you. Speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in high school, uh, my group of friends gave one another inappropriate nicknames, which I'm not going to share with you, based on things which identified us. Um, Over time, uh, we would be known by these nicknames by our wider group of friends as well. There was the coffee guy, the arcade games guy, the swim team guy, and the ladies guy. I'll let you guess who I was. What shapes you? What feeds your identity? What speaks into your life the most? Is it the people around you? Your family, your friends, your co-workers, your teachers, classmates? Maybe even your enemies, the people that you don't like. Social media, pop culture, your personal culture, your gifts, your talents, your skills, your grades at school, your performance at school, your degree that you're studying, the career that you have. What shapes your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, and your words. What shapes you? As we come to our passage today, we finally meet the person after whom the book is named. We finally meet Ezra. Seven chapters in, we finally meet Ezra. After these things, so almost 60 years after the last chapter, we finally see Ezra. And in the last chapter, we saw that the temple was completed uh, when King Darius reaffirms uh, King Cyrus' decree 23 years before. 23 years it took to rebuild this temple. The exiles were allowed to return to Jerusalem and they started their life all over again. The sacrifices, the offerings, the feasts, and all was well. Or was it? We're going to see in these final chapters of Ezra, just because the temple had been rebuilt and life had been restored, it didn't mean that everything was going well. Going to the temple, making these offerings and sacrifices, celebrating the feasts, these feasts didn't make you a good Jew. Didn't make your country prosper. Likewise, today, coming to church, singing songs, serving in church, 
even being the pastor right up here doesn't make you any more of a Christian. So what is it that God is after? Is he after a family or ancestors of godly believers generation after generation? Yeah, he wants to see generations of faithful, godly believers. And we see blessings and promises made to those families in the Bible. Is he after people who serve the church and its people? Yeah, he is. The Bible calls us to serve him and to serve his people in multiple ways. Is he after people who will stand up for social justice in our world? Yes, he is. The Bible calls us to stand up for the marginalized, the poor, the weak, and all such injustice. Yet for all these good things, is it enough? Are these things enough? And we see all of these things in the person of Ezra. We see a man who comes from the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first high priest. You see these in the first five verses. You see his family history. We see a man who is called by God to serve his people. He's gifted with the skills and talents needed to lead and serve his people. He is a man who was also bold and courageous, coming before the Persian king, Artaxerxes, seeking to improve the situation of his people. Ezra is all of these things. But most critical of all, Ezra is a man who seeks after God and his ways. Verse 10, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. His life is captured and shaped by the word of God. He is a man with great family history. He is a man who is gifted and talented. He is bold and courageous with his political authorities but more than all of this more than anything he is a man who is devoted to living his life shaped by the word of god turn with me briefly to psalm chapter one read along with me psalm chapter one blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whether he, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff and the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is Ezra. This is a description of Ezra. Joni Erickson Tata, she was 17 when she had a a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. Some of you may know her story. She was left unable to use her hands. She struggled with depression and hopelessness as she went through rehab, as she wrestled with her disability. Fifty years later, she now leads an international ministry serving people with disabilities and their families. And she has an amazing testimony. And you should read her story if you haven't. But I actually don't want to share about her. 
I want to share with you about one of the people who encouraged her through her depression and hopelessness. Uh, His name was Steve, and Joni says this of Steve. I can honestly say, I don't know where I would be if not for this gentle, good man, Steve. I met him when I was fresh out of hospital, just 19 years old, struggling against depression and searching for answers in God's word. Steve was only a teenager at the time, but he loved Jesus Christ and possessed a remarkable depth of knowledge about the Bible. Every Thursday night until Steve went away to college, this young man pulled over the scriptures with me, helping me to grasp the comfort behind the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Without people like Steve, I don't think Joni could say this today. When I broke my neck, my affliction made me search the scriptures and once I realized my quadriplegia was permanent, the Bible became my meat and drink. I learned to abide in him. When you hear Joni speak, she's, there's videos and podcasts and radio things. Whenever you hear her speak, she just oozes the Bible. But I feel like if people like Steve weren't there at the beginning in her life, She would not be where she is now. What about you? What shapes your life? So what if you've grown up in church? So what if your parents are Christian? So what if you serve in church every week? Or volunteer your time? So what if you're gifted and talented using them to serve God? So what if you have the greatest mind and you find a cure to AIDS? So what? These are all good things, but is that what it means for us to be Christian? It's not enough just to study the Bible. What we see here in Ezra is not just a knowledge of the Word of God, but an observance. It says in verse 10, he observes the Word of God, a living out, a transformation By the word of God. Ezra is shaped by the word of God. The Israelites had their temple. They had their sacrifices and offerings. They had their feasts. But we will see that they were not shaped by the law of the Lord. They're not shaped by the word of God. And even Ezra, in a way, doesn't succeed. As he tries to bring the law of the Lord to the Israelites. So, what hope do we have? If Ezra doesn't succeed, what hope do we have? Jesus himself in Matthew 5 says that he doesn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You can read about it in Matthew 5. Jesus expects our lives to be shaped by the law, by the word of God. Fortunately, though, that's not the end of the story with Jesus. Instead, Jesus' life models what it is like to be shaped by the word of God. We read his life story through the Gospels. It's a model of what it is like to be shaped by the Word of God. In His death, He conquers sin and He frees us from our sinful nature that shapes us. He frees us from sin. And in His resurrection, He gives us new life, the power and the freedom to live a life to be shaped by the Word of God. Every thought, every emotion, every action, every word, captured and shaped by the Word of God. And Jesus isn't merely our example. He is the living Word of God. We see that in John 1. And it is Him who shapes us. 
How does he do that? He does that through the promise and the work of his Holy Spirit. John 14. Turn, actually, turn with me there. John 14. These are great reminders here. John 14, verse 25. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's getting ready to go. And he, and he says this. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. These are great encouraging words. I think I should resign. It's not my job to teach and remind you of what's in the Bible. It's the work of the Spirit. It's His job. All I can do is point you to Him. It's not my job to remind you and teach you these things. It's His job. I just point you to Him. Point you to Jesus. And this is exactly why I want you to open your Bibles. This is why I want you to scrutinize everything you hear when people share from the Bible, including me, especially me. This is why it's important to open your Bibles. Not so that you can be filled with knowledge, but so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you, to shape you by the Word, by Jesus. I get 30, 40 minutes each week to share the Word of God with you on a Sunday. 30 to 40 minutes, depending on how long I take. An hour if I'm crazy. The Holy Spirit is with you 24-7. He is with you all the time. And every time you open that Bible, you give Him a chance to speak. Five minutes a week, by the time you hit Sunday, you've already had 30 minutes. That's your sermon. It doesn't matter if it's a physical Bible, though I think that's great because you can scribble in it and write things in it. Get an app. Get an audio Bible. Whatever it is, open up the Bible and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because that's his job. If you don't open the Bible, if you don't engage with the Holy Spirit, he won't speak. He doesn't force himself on you. The Holy Spirit engages in relationship with you when you allow him. It's like trying to have a conversation with someone who keeps staring at their phone. Or trying to send a message to someone and they never open the app. They never open... Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp, they just never open it and you're trying to send them a message. It just doesn't work. If you don't open your Bible, the Holy Spirit can't speak. But as I said, it's not about knowing the Bible. It's not even about knowing Jesus. It's about every thought, every emotion, every action, every word captured and shaped by the Word of God. Especially for us as Christians, shaped by the living Word of God, Jesus. What does that look like? It looks different for each of us. And that's part of the beauty of it. There's no formula. But I want to give you a basic principle that impacts all of us. Being shaped by the Word of God means engaging with the world that we live in. You can't 
be shaped by the word of God and not engage with the world that you live in. It doesn't work. If you are shaped by the word of God, you will engage with the world. We're seeing in Ezra that he engages with his world at a political and social level. He was bold and courageous to ask Artaxerxes, king of Persia, if he could go to Jerusalem and inquire on how things were going there. And as we see from this letter, Ezra's request is granted. Now, I don't want to get into it here, but we saw back in chapter 1 that there's this whole Exodus theme going on where God moves the heart of the king, where people give generously and people return back to the promised land. Go back to the first sermon if you want to refresh on that. But we have that repeated here. And as I think about this, one person comes to mind, William Wilberforce. If you know the movie Amazing Grace, uh, it's about him. Uh, William Wilberforce was one of the people responsible for the abolition of slavery in the British Empire uh, back in the end of the 18th century. But he wasn't always like this. He wasn't always this gung-ho, let's save the world type of guy. Um, Before he was a Christian, he was a clever guy, but he never studied. I know some of you wish you were like that. Um, Instead, he'd go to the casino, he'd gamble, and he'd go go, go out drinking every night. Once he became a Christian, he was convinced uh, by, by people around him to join politics. And eventually, he would become this figure for social change. It wasn't just slavery. He's best known, best known for that. Why? Because he was shaped by the Word of God and believed that the Word of God spoke powerfully about the dignity and the worth of an individual person. And that led him to abolish slavery with the help of others. It was shaped by the word of God. 1st of January 2017, the communist Vietnamese government introduced the law on belief in religion, insisting that religious groups must be registered and approved. Funny enough, a similar thing was revised in China not long before. However, despite this new regulation, Christians still choose to remain faithful to Jesus and endure intense pressure especially those believers who speak out against corruption and rights abuses. Lawyers, Christian activists, even Christian bloggers have been arrested, found guilty of propaganda against the state and imprisoned for their faith. New Christian converts are intimidated, fined, beaten, abused and arrested. Land belonging to families for generations is confiscated by the local authorities and physical force is used. These Vietnamese Christians continue to live out their faith despite this opposition because they are shaped by the word of God. What shapes your life? It looks different for every person. Some engage with society at various levels to bring God's truth into various matters. Abortion, marriage, asylum seekers, refugees, the whole whole gamut. Some study the sciences to gain a greater understanding of the world that we live in. Some will stir the hearts of people through music and dance. Some will dazzle our imaginations through the arts. Some will draw us back into history to learn and understand our heritage. There's no boundary or limit to how we can engage with the world. But as we do that in each of these arenas and more, How do we see 
how do we seek to see them shaped by the word of God, by the truth of God? How will God use you? Jesus says in John 15, As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Christians don't belong to the world. Jesus calls us out of the world, but he leaves us in the world that we might continue to proclaim the good news in the world, to be a witness in this world. We're to be salt and light. We're to season the world with flavors of grace, mercy and love. We are to shine Jesus' light into the darkness we encounter. Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We often stop there. But he goes on and he says, So that the servant of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God equips us for every good work. As we are shaped by the word of God, we are called to engage with our world and be a blessing. We are called to be a blessing to the nations. What does that look like in everyday life? Again, there's no formula to follow, but I want to encourage you with some practical things that you might be able to do. Um, Hopefully they're not too scary or overwhelming. So three things. Start in your own world. Use the word of God and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Let me flesh these out. Often when we think about living out the Christian life, evangelism, sharing the gospel, we often get really freaked out because we're like, how are we going to do this? You think about the strangers on the street, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, and you're just overwhelmed. Where do we start? And while we see that Jesus often preached to the crowds, we have all these accounts where he was just one-on-one with people. And I want to encourage you with that. Don't feel like it's your job to reach everyone and save the world. That's not your job. That's God's job. But your job is to focus on the people that God gives you in your everyday life. To engage with those people. Start there. Focus on the people that are in your world. Whether it's your family, your neighbours, your friends, your co-workers, parents at kids' school, playgroup, or wherever else you interact with people. Who are the people that you interact with? Rather than focus on everyone, just focus on them. Think of three to four people and start there. What do you do then? Use the Word of God. Now, I want to encourage you guys to be reading the Bible with another Christian. Some of you are already doing that. Um, Get into the practice of reading the Bible. I don't think we do that enough. No agenda, just read. Just read it together. Use a reading plan if you want. Use some other tool. But just open the Bible and read it together. Um, If you're interested in doing that and you're not quite sure how or how to do that, come and talk to me. But just read the Bible with someone. But what about non-Christians? What about people who aren't so keen? Well, this could go two ways, really. They could say yes, or worst case scenario, they say no. It's really all that's going to happen. If it's really bad, they might punch you in the face, but that's really unlikely. Really, really unlikely. Be yes or no. You don't even need to get the whole Bible. I forgot to get it, but I've got... You don't need to start with this. Get a mini Bible. There's, you can get these mini Bibles from Kurong. They're about 2 to $3 each. 
And they're like, you can get, it's mostly the Gospels and Psalms, I think. Just start with that. Something small, inconspicuous. It's like, hey, I want to read this. Can we read this together? Um, if you're looking for something to start with, Mark or John are great options. Um, now, you're probably thinking, well, what if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? That's okay. No one said that you had to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But, ask. That's why we're here, to learn and to grow together. And so, if you have questions that you're not sure about, that's okay. But come and ask. Ask us here. Ask your brothers and sisters, and we'll work it out. We've got so many resources for us to access. But my point is this. Let the word of God speak for itself. You don't need to defend it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the truth to people, not you. Your your job is just to open it. To open that Bible, to open the truth to them and go, hey, would would you read this? And let the Holy Spirit come and do his job. And this leads to the third and most important part. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Because he might change everything I've just said. This is the most critical part. The whole point of the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide us by being shaped by the word of God. And so if you want to be shaped by the word of God, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit to help you. This is probably the most single and most critical thing you can do if you want to be shaped by the word of God. That's his job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to shape you by the word of God to be like Jesus, the living word of God. And there's nothing complicated about this. There's no special prayer. There's no formula. It's just saying, Holy Spirit, do your work in me. Do your work in me today. That's it. And as he does his work, that prayer will change. It will change you. But the foundation is still the same. Holy Spirit, do your work in me. And I dare you. I dare you to do that and see what happens. See what happens in your life when you allow the Holy Spirit and you ask the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. Now the thought of this probably freaks you out. I get that. But God's in control. We've seen all throughout Ezra that God is in total control of the situation. No matter what the foreign political powers are doing, they're not out of his reach. He moves them according to his purpose, just like he does here in chapter 7. He did it back then. He can still do it today, and I believe that he does. It doesn't mean that he's going to do it according to what we want, our agenda. But he will. He's in control. And Ezra recognizes this, and he closes... He he responds to this letter from the king. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. And who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. God's in control. Ezra recognizes this and praises God because God's in control. If God can move the heart of a king, he can move our hearts. God moved the heart of the king to send Ezra back, to give Ezra all that he needed to do his job 
and it was God's hand, God's spirit that gave Ezra that courage to take that mission on. Remember Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's got it. All authority and he's with us. And that's his promise. Does this shape you? Now, what freaks me out thinking about what the Holy Spirit might do when I let him lead me. It freaks me out. But I have seen time and time again when the Holy Spirit works, he still freaks me out. But Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit for this reason. How many people have uh, been under anesthetic? Not general anesthetic, local anesthetic. Been to the dentist, got a needle in your mouth so you don't feel what's going on? Yeah? Holy Spirit's kind of like local anesthetic. Local anesthetic, you lose sensation when it's applied. Holy Spirit's kind of like that. Your face doesn't start melt, feel like it's melting off though when you're at the dentist. Not like that. But the Holy Spirit comes in and this is what, what Paul writes. The Spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit is an anesthetic, anesthetic to our fear. In contrast, He gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And when you ask the Holy Spirit to work in you, to lead you, there's something different that happens. There's a different dynamic. He comes in and He takes away this, free, this fear. You might still be freaking out, but he takes away this fear. He takes away fear and he gives you power, love and self-discipline. And so there's no fear as the Holy Spirit steps in and he reminds you, I'm here. I am with you. Keep going. I'm on your side. Let me take the lead. And it is this fearlessness, this power, this love, this self-discipline which fills so many of our brothers and Christians, brothers and sisters in the persecuted world and in our church in Japan. It is this spirit that gives them the courage to keep going even though the situation around them is falling apart and seems hopeless. That is the work of the spirit. What shapes you? Is it the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus? Or is it something else? Maybe the better question to ask here is, what do you want to shape you? Do you even want the Word of God, the living Word of God, to shape your life? Or are you allowing something else to shape your life? If you choose the Word of God, then let the Word of God not only shape your life, but shape the way that you engage with the world that you live in. God doesn't call us to change the world. That's his job. But he calls us to engage with it, with the gospel. He doesn't leave us to our own abilities, strengths and weaknesses. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us on the way. And I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get. So what shapes you? What do you want to shape you today?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and I don't know where people are at. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your job. That you will take the word of God. That you will take the living word of God, Jesus. And for those who choose and allow you to work, to shape and to mould them, to conform and transform them into the likeness of Jesus. And as they are transformed, will they engage with this world by the power and the love and the self-discipline of your Holy Spirit that the world might meet with you, Lord Jesus. So for those people, I pray that you help them. Take away their fear and fill them with power, love and self-discipline that they might be shaped by the word of God. And so I pray this. In Jesus' name, Amen.